Good morning. Our sermon passage this morning is from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And if you're using the Bible in the pew or the ESV, that starts and finishes on page 857. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Well, I encourage you to keep your copy of God's Word open to that text. We'll be going over some different verses in our series here as we begin a new sermon series or Advent series. Um, it is no secret around here that Christmas is my favorite time of year. I love um, all the traditions, and we had our you know, Advent candle and the, the readings and um, the decorations. So thankful to Levon and Wendy and Carol and Bob, and I'm sure there are others who transformed this place into looking very festive, and so thankful for that. And couple extra musicians and a music team today. I don't know if you heard them or not, um, but, uh, you know, that brass sound is so good. And so, um, yeah, I really look forward to this. This is a, this is a highlight. I hope you do, too. You, you look forward to it as well. Um, and so the sermon series that we're going to do, and, and you know that one of the things that we do here is that we always have a special Advent sermon series, and so Christmas Carol Theology is what we settled on. This started way back uh, a year ago. Uh, Wayne sent me an email, and uh, he had a couple thoughts, and, and this was one of his ideas. And I read it, and I thought, this was a really good idea. And so we're, we're looking forward to looking at some of these uh, traditional songs, carols that we sing around uh, Advent, and looking into it a little bit more. And the reason why it's important is because sometimes some things, they can get so familiar to us that we actually stop seeing them. Um, if you were to, you know, try to trace, uh, or maybe you've already, you've had this happen to you on your commute to work or something, you look over and you see something, you're like, I wonder how long that's been there. Um, you know, and come to find out it's been there forever. Uh, it'd be interesting to go through your house and kind of look around and say, you know, how long has that been there? Um, you know, I'm not talking about the dust. I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> some of the other things, you know. Uh, around here, even in the building here, uh, pictures 
like if you were to ask me uh, what the picture is in the hallway right here outside my office, I probably, I couldn't tell you what it is. I walked past that picture, I don't know, I don't know how many times I've walked past that picture over the last almost 11 years, and I couldn't even tell you what's on that picture, right? I walk by it all the time. But sometimes when we see things and we're very familiar with them, we begin to lose sight of what the meaning behind it is. And the same is true about some of the songs that we sing, not just Christmas carols, but particularly Christmas carols, is because we have, these are traditional songs that we sing every year and, and uh, we remember them. And maybe sometimes in the middle of singing the songs, uh, a memory comes up of maybe a, a service that we were at or, or a time around the Christmas tree or something like that where you you will have a memory come up, but uh, we, we're, we're not really thinking about the words as much sometimes, and we want to change that. Now, some songs around the holidays, I mean, they're just to sing for fun, um, you know, uh, but in a worship context, we really should think about what we're singing, and it really should be something that is, is meaningful to us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, uh, several different uh, Christmas carols, and uh, the first one is God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, okay? That's what we're going to look at today, the song God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. If you picked up a handout, I printed the lyrics along the side of it so you can kind of reference it. You can kind of see that. Um, if not, if you want to pull in the, it's in the hymn book someplace. I'm going to have the, the number. Uh, you can pull it out and look it up if, you, if you'd like to have that here. Before I dive into kind of the, the main points of the sermon, let me just give you a few little background notes here about it, um, about the song. We don't really know who wrote, originally wrote the carol. Um, it's anonymous, and it just kind of comes out to the scene. It first appears in print form. We're really uncertain even of the date of it in print form. In uh, the mid to late 1700s is when we start seeing this in a print form in some place here. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't around before then. It uh, could have been in print form even before then. Now, we just don't have any copies of it. The earliest copies, the mid uh, to late 1700s. But language in the carol suggests that it was probably earlier than that, uh, more like uh, late 16th or early 17th century. Uh, some of the phrases in there, like even in the title, right? God, rest ye merry gentlemen. God, you know, rest ye merry. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, have you thought about that? You know, God, rest ye merry gentlemen. We don't, we don't speak that way anymore. And actually, the reason why we think it may have been written earlier than the mid to late 1700s is because that phrase, uh, rest ye, or God rest you, uh, was common more in the late uh, 1500s or early 1600s. We see it several times in the works of Shakespeare, actually, here. I'm not going to go through every one of the examples here, but if you're a Shakespeare fan, you know, there you go, all right? The, several times over and over again, Shakespeare uses this phrase or a variant of this phrase in his plays and in his works there. And so, and when we understand when he was writing, this was a common phrase of the time there of God, rest ye merry, rest ye fair, rest ye merry, you see them there, um, rest myself content, you see all of those there. 
So I guess the question then is, what does that mean? And, and words matter in this. And so as we're trying to get, before, before we get into the theology, we kind of understand, okay, what are, these, what are these words actually talking about here? And, and what does it mean? Because just because we use a word in a certain way today doesn't mean that in the late, you know, 1500s, or early 1600s, that word was being used in the same way. And so there's a couple of those uh, words that we need to, to really uh, define quickly here, and that is rest and Mary. Okay, what do those two words mean? Um, rest, we think of the word rest, it's taking a nap, a siesta, taking a snooze, you know, not doing work. That's not really what was being communicated at this time here. Rest really had more of the idea of to keep or to cause to continue or actually to remain. Okay, think of the word arrested, right? holding on to something, you're keeping it, you're containing it, right? So rest has more of this idea, or even the phrase rest assured, what we say. So you can kind of see where even in some of today's vernacular, we, it harkens back to that, but we don't typically use the word that way. But when this song was first written, God rest you married gentlemen, what he's saying there is more of this idea of keep, cause to continue to remain. Now, the word Mary is interesting. I read some things on this, and, and there were some people who were trying to say, some accounts that the word at the time meant great, mighty, or strong. But I just couldn't find the evidence compelling at all, actually. And so it is best to uh, have this, this more traditional understanding of the word Mary of joy or peace or gladness here. So... The reason why we're doing this is because if we're going to understand what's being said here, we've got to understand what these words mean. Not only do, do words matter, but punctuation matters, okay? So if you look at the title, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, where the comma is on that is important. You're like, this is the most boring sermon ever. We're talking about words. We're talking about punctuation. You know, next, I'm going to be talking about spreadsheets and budgets, you know? Okay, <laughs> no. So, but this is important, right? Because punctuation matters here. So, like, if I were to put this phrase up here, there's two variants of this. No more tacos or no more tacos, okay? Two vastly different things, right? Or here's another example. Let's eat, Grandma. Let's eat, Grandma, okay? My friends, punctuation saves lives here, okay? So this is why we need to have it down, okay? What is this saying when it says, God rest ye merry, comma, gentlemen? We often think of that as if the comma were behind uh, uh, rest ye, merry gentlemen, as if Mary was modifying gentlemen. But that's not how it's written. God rest ye merry, gentlemen. So what is it saying here? It's really a statement of blessing. And it really has the idea of something like this. God give you peace, or God's joy be upon you. That's what it's saying there. And so when we understand that, when we look at the lyrics, we're going to look at the biblical story, we look at some of the theology behind it, we'll see that what is happening when we sing this song, we're actually singing several reasons why God's comfort, joy, and peace should arrest us. That's what the song is about. And so when we're singing this Christmas carol, God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ your Savior was born on Christmas Day. The song outlines, here's all the reasons why God's peace should arrest you, why God's joy should be upon you. So for the remainder of our time, that's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack that and see what it means 
and see how that we, it really is conveying crucial biblical truths that must arrest our souls. But let me pray, and then we'll dive into the sermon. Father, we've taken a longer time this morning with some of the traditions and even this introduction here, and it has been great to sing. It's been great to hear the congregation singing and the musical team and the musical instruments, and we're so thankful that we have the opportunity to, to, to look at this during this Advent season. It's a little bit different uh, type of sermon series than what we, we do, but um, it's just really really helpful for us to make sure that what we're singing, it is rooted in biblical theology and biblical truths. And, um, and so that's our hope. So Holy Spirit, guide us. And Lord, I pray that I'd be able to communicate in a way that's helpful and uh, more importantly, accurate to your word and um, that you would have free reign here. So remove distractions. And above all, would you receive all glory and honor? For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. All right, first reason why God's joy should arrest us is that we have every reason for comfort and hope. We have every reason for comfort and hope. The song there, it talks about uh, that uh, uh, there's tidings of great joy. It talks about that we are saved from Satan's power. I don't know if you saw that there. We're saved from Satan's power. This is a crucial thought. So if, if, if we are people who we understand what the Bible teaches, what the Bible teaches about our, our natural state, and then we understand that Jesus came and he died on the cross. He was born and he lived a sinless life and he died on the cross, rose again. If, if, if that is the reality, and that's what the song is teaching, and that's what the song is teaching, the biblical truth of it, then we would be of people who we should have great comfort and joy and comfort and hope. And so we have every reason, in, no matter what life circumstances are, that's the key here, is no matter what our life circumstances are, if we understand the gospel that this song, this Christmas carol is promoting, this gospel truth, then we have every reason, regardless of circumstances, we have every reason for comfort and hope. And so when you talk about being saved from Satan's power, what does that mean? Well, John chapter 8 and verse 44 says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What the Bible teaches is that when we're born, it says that no one is naturally born into God's family. When we're born, we're born under the curse of sin because of our sin nature that is passed down, that has corrupted all of humanity when Adam and Eve sinned. This is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that because Adam and Eve sinned, then all of humanity was put under a curse. All of humanity has to deal with this sin nature. And so it, the, the scriptures teach, you're of your father the devil, naturally speaking. Okay? The scripture goes on in Colossians chapter 2. It says, in you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross... He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture because of the hope that it gives. But the reality, the message that's in the middle of it is if we don't know Christ, is absolutely breathtaking. 
It says there that we had legal demands against us. We had a record of debt against us, every one of us. Every one of us has this record of debt against us because of sin that is in our lives. And so we have a choice. Either we can pay for it ourselves or we can find someone else to pay for it. And there's only one who can pay for it, and it is Jesus Christ. And so if this is true, no wonder this song is saying, oh, tidings of comfort and joy, right? Because we are saved from Satan's power here, even though, even though we are sinful people. You see, this is what it also talks about here, is that the Bible teaches that we are a sinful people, that we continue to sin. And God is saving us from that. But the reality is, is we are not perfect until, we will not be sinless until we get to eternity. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of of mankind, and of course, Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, the, re- the, the beautiful story of Christmas is it's not about all the wreaths and decorations as much as I love those things. It's about what they're promoting. It's about why it's, it's, a, it's a change, it's a celebration. And what are we celebrating here? We're celebrating the fact that even though we are sinful, there is still the possibility of comfort and joy and hope because we've been released from Satan's power if we believe in faith. And that's it. Faith gives us nothing to fear. In, in, in the carol, it talks about here that, that there's well, let nothing you affright. And so faith gives us nothing to fear. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So one of the first reasons why the things we look at at a Christmas carol here, at a Christmas song is, what is it teaching us here? And this song, even though we don't know who wrote it, even though we're uncertain of the exact time that it was written, even though it has some kind of kind of funky words in the beginning that you got to try to do some, you know, mind-bending exercises to figure out what's going on here. With all those things going on, it teaches a gospel-centered truth. It teaches the, the, the beautiful story of how God has brought salvation to mankind and that we, of all people, don't have to fear anything. Remember, we said in our Lamentation series, only the repentant have nothing to fear. Only the repentant have no reason to fear God. But if we're not repentant, we have every reason to fear God. You see, what this is teaching us here, what the scriptures teach us here, is that the word of the cross, it's folly to those who are perishing, but for those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So here, we're told, God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let God's joy be upon you. Let God's peace arrest you, is what it's saying. And the reason why is because, first of all, the, 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 we, uh, um, we have every reason for comfort and hope because our two greatest enemies are vanquished. That's what's being taught here. 
I don't know if you caught that or not, but our two greatest enemies are vanquished. We have the external enemy of Satan, vanquished. But we also have the internal enemy, sin, vanquished because of Christ but we have to believe in him. We have to follow him. We have to confess our sins. We, the Bible says, confess your sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible says it's not by works that we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us and washed us. So this God rest you merry gentlemen, I say this to everyone here today, is because there is hope, there is comfort, and it's only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God rest you merry gentlemen. We have every reason for hope. But there's another reason. I've got three total. There's another reason why God rest you merry gentlemen should be applied to us today. Why God's peace, this pronouncement of blessing, may God's peace arrest you. May God's joy be upon you. And the second is, is because God's grace is surprisingly uh, inclusive. God's grace is surprisingly inclusive. This song really is about uh, the... uh, um, this song is really about the, the shepherd's story here. I just realized I forgot to give you a verse, and I have to give it. i got to go back. I'm sorry. This is going to mess with the whole flow of the sermon. I know, but it's really good. Okay. Nehemiah 12 says this. It says, and they offered great sacrifices that day. This is talking about the rebuilding of the walls, okay, of Jerusalem after it was sacked. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. And the women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. I love that. It was like, what was that noise? What are those people happy about? The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. I remember I was in Verona. Uh, It was a Friday night. I was kind of over down towards Epic a little bit, and uh, uh, this was, you know, month or so ago, I can't remember, and uh, the window was down in the vehicle I was driving, so I went over there, and all of a sudden, I heard this crowd erupt, and I thought, Verona got a touchdown, <laughs> okay, you know, the joy of Verona was heard far away. My mind immediately went to that. My mind immediately, oh, that must be cool. That must be a great scenario. They must be really happy here. So I, it was like, or the question is, if I didn't play, put two and two together and knew that it was a Friday night, I'd be like, what is going on over there? What's that about? You see, the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And the reason why I, I wanted to come back to this point before I, I did go to the second point is this, is because of all Christians, we have the most to be joyful about. This is why, by the way, we're doing the gift exchange. Do you think that the reason why we're doing the gift exchange is because everyone wants a $5 gift? <laughs> Do you think that, the, that that's it? It's like, oh, I, I just need another $5 gift in my life. That's not the reason. The reason is because it's shared joy. It's a collective experience. It's us giving to each other and us, you know, interacting with somebody else in the church. And then what we're doing is we're sharing the joy of Christmas with one another. That's the reason why we do it. That's the reason why I had a Christmas breakfast. 
This is the reason why we do all these things is because the joy of Memorial Baptist should be heard far away because of all people we have the most to be joyful for because of what Christ has done for us. All right, now I'll move on to the second point. All right. It's about the shepherds. And so it's kind of a surprising uh, narrative in the Christmas story that the angels would appear to shepherds first. There's, it's kind of surprising uh, that that's the way God would do it um, because shepherds were generally despised by the world during this time. They were considered untrustworthy. They were considered unclean. Uh, the reasons for this is they had a, a nomadic life. Uh, they would travel from one place to the other. And so what that meant is that uh, they were virtually unknown uh, by people. And so people kind of come into town. These shepherds would come into town. They might make uh, a, a, a you know, conversation here or there, but then they would be moving on to other pastures uh, just a few weeks later on. And so uh, it, it left them that they were perpetual outsiders. And when someone's an outsider, they're generally not trusted. And so the, the, uh, the shepherds were generally despised because they were untrustworthy. Uh, they were known also, and you know, for good reason, not trustworthy, because they, were, they used their, uh, their nomadic life as opportunities to, to steal from others. Of course, not every shepherd did this, but, but this was a, a common theme of like they would come into town and then they would steal some things and then they would be on their way to the next town. And so they left them very untrustworthy. They were considered so untrustworthy that their testimony was not accepted in court. And so if you wanted to bring a material witness and you wanted to bring a character witness in and they were a shepherd, they couldn't, they couldn't do it because uh, they were considered untrustworthy. And so it's a little bit surprising that these are the people that the angels go to, that God directs and says, okay, we're going to announce this birth of Jesus. And so the angelic choir go and sing and go to the shepherds first. So they were generally despised by the world. But yet, um, paradoxically, they were also uh, honored by Israel. At the same time. And the reason for this is because David was a shepherd, right? David was a shepherd, and, uh, and clearly God's favor was upon him. Also, we see David writing, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, Psalm 23. And so in Israel's world, uh, they still understood some of the cultural things about shepherds, but they also had, a, had an honor of shepherds, but yet in the outside world, they were generally despised here. And so the reason is because they appreciate the pastoral work of a shepherd. What's the application here? The application is, is that God didn't send cigars. He didn't send balloons. He didn't send lollipops to announce the birth of his son. Instead, he sent a choir of angels. And those angels, they didn't go to the places that you would think they would go. The, the God's glory, which was normally associated with the temple, wasn't there. It was on a farm that day. God's grace is surprisingly inclusive. And this is what this song talks about. The song, God, rescue Mary, gentlemen. This is talking about these shepherds. This is the one that God used here. And it should, that should really do something for us to think about it. Like, okay, God's grace is surprisingly inclusive here. Someone once told me, I have sinned far too much for God to save you know, and, and I remember those conversations. Now, thankfully, the story ends well, and the person uh, saw that God's grace was inclusive and saved that person's soul. But I wonder if there's someone here, I wonder if there's someone listening, 
And you just think, yeah, you know, this, this source of comfort and joy, that's good for other people, but you, you don't know me. You don't know, you don't know what I've done in the past. Jeremy, if you would know what I did last night, you would not be saying that I have reason for joy and comfort right now. I don't know. I, I have no idea. But here's the beautiful thing about the Bible is that the Bible teaches truth, categorical truth, not situational ethics, okay? It's not things that's like, well, oh, you did that? Okay. You know, Christ, when he was hanging on the cross, he didn't, he, 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 he's, he's 100% God, he's 100% man. And so when he's hanging on the cross, he knows of all the sins that we're going to commit. There was never one that he said, man, I, I, I didn't know that you would do that. If I would have known that, I don't know that I would have gone to the cross. Then. That, 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 that conversation never happened. Because God is all-knowing. He says, you're going to the cross. And Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. It was a beautiful agreement and plan that they were going to redeem uh, humanity and they were going to offer salvation. And God's grace is inclusive. It's surprisingly inclusive. There are going to be people that are in heaven that we're going to go, how did you get here? <laughs> and maybe people will be saying that to you. <laughs> and there are going to be people that we think, where are they? And they're not there. You see, God's grace, it, it is, it, and the reason why I know that we're going to be a little bit surprised maybe in heaven have you ever read Hebrews 11? Have you ever read that chapter? And all the names, the, the, they call it the hall of faith, and all the by faith and by faith and by faith. I mean, there are some people listed in that chapter that I don't know how they got there. I mean, I don't. But they're there. What that tells me is that God works in individuals' lives, and it's not always public record. It's not always something that we see, and we just trust that God is at work in people's lives. And if people call upon the name, call upon the name of the Lord, they are saved, and they have every reason for comfort and hope, because God's grace is surprisingly inclusive. The shepherds teach us that, that God is so wonderful in this regard here. There's one more point. There's one more reason why when we're looking at this idea of God, rest ye merry gentlemen. Okay, God's glory, God's, God's, God's peace be upon you. God's joy arrest you is what's being said here. You have every reason for comfort and hope. God's grace is surprisingly inclusive. But then there's another one is that is this, is that Jesus is actually better than anything else. Okay, I'm like totally missing my slides here. Jesus is better than anything else else here. Did I go ahead on that? There we go. All right. Um, the shepherds left their flocks. That's what the song records for us. It's recording what, um, what, what the Bible teaches. You know, we, there's a few lyrics in uh, the song that's like, eh, I don't see that in the Bible. It's probably some poetic license there. But this detail about the shepherds, you'll see it in the song about them leaving their flocks, that is straight from Scripture. And so that's what we're centering on. We're centering on those details. Is that, yeah, they left, they left their flocks. Um, now, that would have been something that would have been, uh, I mean, the, the Shepherding 101, 
is you never leave your flock. You just don't. If, if you leave your flock, you're considered a really, really bad shepherd. And, and, and your career path is, is suspect if you're one that's a shepherd that's prone to leave their flocks because uh, you know, it's going to be dangerous for the sheep. It's going to be dangerous for their economy. It's going to be just a bad situation overall. If you remember when David, he went to uh, Saul, and remember the story between uh, uh, David and Goliath? Remember that story? Remember when Goliath was there and, and then David wants to go out and fight Goliath? And remember that Saul and everyone's like, hey, you're a boy. You can't do this. What did David say? What did David bring as his resume that he could fight Goliath? He says, I was a shepherd, and a lion came up. I took the lion out. I took the bear. A bear came up. I took the bear out. Saul said, give him the armor, okay? I mean, if you take out a bear, you take out a lion, if you're crazy enough to do that, I mean, go for it. But he was so um, committed to his sheep that he was not going to let them go. So here we have the story of in the God's glory shining, the angels singing, and then uh, uh, to the shepherds, and boom, they just leave their flock. It's a, it's, a, it's a detail in the story that's easy to overlook. It's, it's easy to forget about, or it's easy to think it's not that big of a deal. But it really is in the sense of saying that they were leaving at all their livelihood. They were leaving everything. And there was no guarantee that when they came back in, in the scriptures, what Josh read for us in Luke chapter 2, it does tell us that they returned. They returned with joy. They returned glorifying God. So they do go back to the, shep- the, the sheep. But there was no guarantees that when they got back... All of their sheep were, were going to be there. There was no guarantees that, they were, that things were going to be okay there, but they still left anyway. Why? Because the Christ child was the most important thing above all else. The Messiah trumps everything. Livelihood, everything. Jesus is most important. That's what God rest you, Mary, gentlemen, is taking the biblical truth here of Luke chapter 2 and throwing it into our, our, our minds and our hearts and on our lips as we sing this again. It's like, they left their flocks and everything. Don't, when you read it, when you sing that, don't just think, okay, well, you know, they, they moved out. They were so happy they ran away, you know. No, this was a conscious decision that they were going to leave this stuff behind. And the reason why is because Jesus is best. Jesus is worth everything. And Jesus himself taught this in Luke at chapter 9. He said this. He says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and the birds, have the, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is one of those texts I wish I had more time to unpack, but the, the, the Cliff Notes version of it is this, because you read about this, you think, well, Jesus, I mean, these seems to be kind of realistic request here. Why, why are you so hard on them? Um, maybe you don't think that way. I do when I read this. And so you, you think, what's going on here? Um, there's a lot of ways to explain this, but one is that uh, it, it was more about that the person who wanted to go back and bury the dead, for instance, the father most likely wasn't dead yet. 
And so he says, I can't leave my family until my father passes away. I get the inheritance. Then I can put all the family financial things in order. And then I can, then I can go and follow you. That's really probably what's happening. There's very similar things with each of the narratives there. And so Jesus there is saying, you can't wait around. You can't wait for all these things to fall into place. You've got to follow me. He says, you said you wanted to follow me, but then you said, by the way, I got to take care of all this stuff in my life before and in the circumstances of life before I truly follow you. He says, you put your hand to the plow when you said that you're going to follow me. Now, don't look back. Don't look back on all the earthly constraints. You follow me here. That's what Jesus is saying. And when the shepherds, they left their flocks, that's what they were doing. They were saying, we're leaving everything to go worship the Christ child. We're going, we're going, we're leaving everything to follow Jesus here. And then the shepherds, they did, as I mentioned, they did return glorifying God. And I, I just have to, I just have to assume that their shepherding never looked the same. Now the text of scripture doesn't say that, but I have to assume that they never shepherd the same way again, because Christ has a transforming effect on us, the glory of God. They returned with joy. So how do we apply this part? Here's a statement that, that um, I heard, and I've tried to pass it on to other people. I, I pass it on to, I put in a document of things that I want all the teens in our church, when they grab, by the time they graduate high school, there's seven things I want them to know. And one of them is this, that following Jesus is not only right, it is also best. Following Jesus is not just right, it is also best. See, sometimes we just look at the concept of following Jesus as the right thing to do. It's the moral thing to do. I ought to follow Jesus, and you're right. And that is a motivation, it's a good motivation. But it's not a powerful one. The most powerful motivation is when we truly believe it is best for us. You see, following Jesus, it is the right thing to do, but it is also best. So, God rest you merry gentlemen. May, the, um, may the, the peace of God arrest you. May the joy of God be upon you. And the reasons are ours because uh, of all people, we have the most to be, have comfort and joy about. That God's grace is surprisingly inclusive and that following Jesus is worth it. He is what mo- is most important to us. So this is why there are tidings of comfort and joy this Christmas season. Now, there's another verse that's in there that we typically don't sing about, and it's this here. It says this, Now, to the Lord sing praises, and you within this place, each other new embrace this holy tide of Christmas, all other doth efface. There's a, of all Christians, as I was going to say, we have the most to celebrate. So instead of letting this holiday season being characterized by stress, anxiety, anger, complaining, whatever it is, if we're a believer in Christ, great tidings of comfort and joy should arrest our souls because of what Christ has done for us. So when we, when we sing these songs, let's not just sing them and read the words on, on the screen Let's sing them understanding the deep theology behind them and thanking God for it. 